Hello and welcome to Pharmacy Magazine's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Richard Thomas and in this edition I talk to Jeremy Meader, Managing Director of Newmark. An extract from the interview was featured on last week's Talking Pharmacy podcast. Jeremy has been head of the independent symbol group since 2018 when he moved across from parent company Phoenix, where he was sales director. Prior to this, he had held senior commercial roles with Alliance Healthcare and GlaxoSmithKline Consumer Healthcare. Jeremy is one of the sector's more thoughtful, considered leaders, a real champion of independent pharmacy, but is not afraid to call things out either, and has been one of the more vociferous critics of the government approach to community pharmacy in England, especially over funding. In the interview, he explains why ministers have got it all wrong. But he also has some interesting views on things like automation and hub and spoke. Jeremy questions whether this model will work for independence or whether other solutions are available that will help create much needed capacity. And we test the temperature of Newmark members on the ground and discuss the direction of travel of the group going forward. So let's hear what Jeremy has to say. Thanks, Jeremy, for coming on to the podcast. So we're recording this on Budget Day, October the 27th, last week, and listeners will have read all the coverage in the pharmacy press. Lots of money there for Rishi Sunak for the NHS. Healthcare spending increasing by £44 billion, but nothing for pharmacy that I could see anyway. I guess, Jeremy, you're not surprised at that. Sadly, Richard, I'm not surprised. I think uh, if we look back in recent history, pharmacy very much feels to have been the poor relation when it comes to uh, when it comes to healthcare, and I do struggle with why that would be the case, given what a fabulous job the sector has done over the past 18 months coping with COVID. Pharmacy has been the place that's kept the doors open. It's been the primary point of contact for a lot of people who've struggled to get to see a GP. We've all seen the figures on that, and I get that you know GPs. There's a shortage of GPs as well. But pharmacy really has borne the brunt in many ways of the challenges, and it's absolutely been there throughout. You know, we've we've heard numerous stories of pharmacists and their teams going above and beyond. So there really is fundamentally, I think, a frustration at grassroots level, and certainly amongst Newmark members, that there's not increased funding for the sector. When it's very clear the sector has got fantastic capability, but it just just doesn't seem to be recognised by government in England, and it's. It's such a contrast when I uh, when I look to Scotland and when I chat to Harry McQuillan, you know, they have really got such a great setup in Scotland. Pharmacy is at the heart of uh, of healthcare, very much has its seat at the table. And I just fear in England we've got a very different situation. Yes, a very different situation, isn't it? In in Wales and and, and Scotland, and we we discussed some of the, those issues, didn't we, with the uh, the webcast we did with with you and Newmark and P three Pharmacy o- over the over the last year. But um, and you have expressed your own frustration and, and anger over pharmacy's financial situation many times. Um, I think most recently, as you said, over the so called winter rescue package for GPs, which which does stick in the craw a bit. How much of a struggle is it on the ground or for Newmark members right now? I think it really is a struggle, Richard. I think the, the greatest piece of feedback we get from members is just they feel literally at the limit of what they can do at the moment. Um, and literally, for, I think for members, that the thing they need more is capacity. They need a little bit of time back to be able to take stock on their businesses uh, and critically to give their give their staff a bit of respite. It's It's been so full on for the last 18 months. 
many of our members have uh, have forgone holidays and certainly worked hours way above and beyond. So I really do feel for the sector that there is a there is a fundamental issue there, and that frustration I think only builds when we see GPs being offered allegedly another 250 million. And the reality is that 250 million is not even going to get back to the same number of face-to-face appointments as we had pre-pandemic. So it, it does seem really odd that uh, NHS in England uh, and the Department of Health just do not appreciate or do not seem to value what pharmacy has actually delivered, but I think as importantly, what it's capable of delivering in the future. And that really is healthcare at the heart of the local community that's easy to access. And you know, even with COVID boosters at the moment, I'm still, whilst it's good to see 1,300 pharmacies uh, involved, that's really only 10% or just over 10% of pharmacies in England. You do think there is much greater capability there. And certainly I know of many pharmacies who've applied uh, to run uh, COVID boosters, but actually not heard back. And that, again, I think is uh, it is a sense of frustration. Yes, uh, it is frustrating, especially with the, the slow rate of progress with these boosters. I, I, I really don't understand why they aren't utilising the the sector's capability uh, fully. And Jeremy, you're, you're so right. Um, community pharmacy teams are are running on empty at the moment. It's uh, it's very tough out there. And we can return to the capacity issue later on in the interview, actually. Um, thinking back to the, the pharmacy show, uh, the former PSNC chief exec, Simon Dukes, suggested that pharmacy actually has many advocates in the corridors of power, but, but not where it counts, which is the treasury. So what can PSNC do, and indeed pharmacy generally, I suppose, to change this? It's probably the $64 million question, Richard. I don't think it's for lack of effort. I think probably if I stand back and reflect on the pharmacy industry versus GPs, GPs have got one body that speaks on their behalf. And I do think at times that uh, that can be sometimes a, a weakness in pharmacy, that there are so many vested uh, vested interests within it. Maybe that makes it a little bit harder. But that being said, generally, when it comes to the funding issue, I think all of the players are of the same mind that actually what we just want is fair funding for pharmacy and recognition of what the sector is capable of delivering in the future. And for the Treasury to recognise that, and I think you've hit the nail on the head, that just seems to be the part at the moment that there is some form of disconnect, that pharmacy isn't valued in the same way the other healthcare providers could. And we, we talk a lot at Newmark about fundamentally pharmacy being the third pillar of access to healthcare in the UK alongside A&E and GPs. It just doesn't feel like that from a funding perspective. So do we somehow need to change the offer? Um, and is it a failure in negotiation by, by PSNC or is it just a, some kind of cultural groupthink at the Treasury that we can't seem to cut through? I think if I knew the definitive answer to that, Richard, I'd be, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd be a very wise man. Fundamentally, there must be some disconnect in the Treasury. Um, where exactly that lies, I honestly don't know, but I do think there is a disconnect there somewhere um, that, is, that is holding back uh, potentially funding for the sector because Genuinely, when we look at what's been delivered, it's hard to argue the case otherwise that actually pharmacy is a great asset to healthcare in the UK. Yes, there's things that could be done differently for sure, um, but fundamentally, it is an access point to healthcare at the heart of the local community and and, and very popular with the public, as as the last eighteen months has shown us only too well. So, 
hard to understand why that doesn't actually translate into a little bit more vision. Now, maybe some of the new structures in pharmacy will, will, will improve that situation. Um, I think we've got to hope that will be the case. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that pans out. And pharmacy probably has never been more popular or certainly never had a higher public profile. So it would be good to leverage that if we could, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, funding aside, let's look at the current contractual framework. We're in year three. Um, professional service development seems to be taking place slowly, but but steadily. What element of the framework do you think is the most important for the future development of the sector? I think for the future sector, Richard, it really is about funding being put behind services and services being made easier for pharmacies to actually deliver. And by that, I mean just much more structured frameworks around them. One of my fears on the new structure we may move to is we end up with hundreds of different versions of. I think we need national standards for a lot of these services, which would enable pharmacy organisations, I think, to better support our members. When there's so many potential variations, I think that's just a, a cause of enormous complexity. So I think there is a, a massive job to be done in terms of trying to get the case across for simplification, because pharmacy can deliver these services, but it needs to be made str- as straightforward as possible for them to actually do so. Yes, the, it, pharmacy often fails over implementation, really, or implement, implementation takes takes much longer than it should. So, yeah, that's a good point. And to deliver these services, of course, we need to create capacity and efficiencies in the sector and that leads us rather neatly to to hub and spoke now we await the promised consultation from the government from the uh, following the passing into law of the medicines and medical devices bill earlier this year and as our listeners will know this uh, will allow all community pharmacies to operate a hub and spoke model at the pharmacy show you said hub and spoke had been very successful for Rowlands, which is part of the phoenix group of course but independents need a different solution. What did you mean by that? Well, I think, Richard, if, if I look at our uh, our operation, we, we run for Rowlands. We've got a central dispensary, which is based above our pharmaceutical warehouse uh, in Runcorn. So effectively, it's a stockless operation. And by that, I mean, we haven't had to invest in a different site or a completely different stock holding. We're using an asset we already had more effectively. But we had to make a massive investment to be able to literally automate or create an industrial size pharmacy uh, for Rowlands. And for us, over a number of years, that will pay back. My, my concern for the sector is, and we did some calculations, if we wanted 50% of pharmacy volume to be produced by hubs, that's going to take an investment of a quarter of a billion pounds, 250 million. I'm just not sure where that investment is actually going to come from, which is, hence my comment, I think for independents, there may be some people who offer hub and spoke, but it's not going to happen overnight. And it will take considerable time to, to build those sort of facilities and to get the technology installed or the automation installed to be able to offer that. And I think also potentially there's quite a lot of hidden costs there in terms of hub and spoke. You know, if you have to start setting up extensive customer call centers, all of that will add to costs. And I'm, I'm not sure yet there really is a, a proven model that for independence, it's going to be a panacea or a massive cost saving. It may prove to be the case, but I genuinely think the jury is still out on that. I mean, it is hard to see the cost benefit case, um, isn't it? I mean, one of your panelists at the, at the pharmacy show said it might even be a death knell for independence. Would you go as far as to agree with that? 
I think the the independent sector in the UK is remarkably resilient. And you know, when we look at all the difficulties facing pharmacy at the moment, it's still the independents actually who are driving growth. So fundamentally, our members' commitment to the sector is is absolutely fantastic. But I do think within that there are there are further challenges that are going to have to be met. So for an independent, you know, independents have fought incredibly hard to retain or to win the nomination of the patient. We all know the pressure they've been under in recent years with some other providers coming into the market uh, and patients then ending up in a situation where when they've got an acute prescription, then they've realised actually they're not getting the same service from a remote provider as they can from their local pharmacy. So having fought so hard to get the script, I'm not so sure that actually independents are going to rush towards giving away that script to another provider unless there really is a, a compelling case to do so. Yes, or indeed giving away margin and, and, and buying power, I suppose. Actually, um, I think you know, we, we all recognise in the UK, you know, prices generally for, for medications, certainly for generics, are about as low as they are anywhere in Europe. I mean, it is an incredibly, incredibly tough marketplace. So you do look at that and think, really, with the best will in the world, I can't see how pricing could drop much lower. You think we'll be paying pennies for a number of the, uh, the, the largest generics in the, uh, in the country at the moment. So there's not genuinely, our view is there's not much left on the buy side. Uh, the members are buying very effectively. You know, there's a number of buying solutions in the market that have enabled uh, independent pharmacies to really buy as effectively as anywhere in Europe. Yes. Now, uh, at Newmark, you, you have in, invested in a, a form of automation, I guess, which is the, the golden tote, which is certainly appears to be um, releasing a lot of capacity for, for Newmark members on the ground. It's an interesting model, Jeremy. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, could you explain how it works and what's the benefits that, that you've seen realised so far? Yeah, certainly, Richard. I mean, f- fundamentally, the, the principle of the golden tote is that rather than deliver totes into pharmacy that contain a multitude of different products that have to be put away within the pharmacy and then repicked, We've come up with a way of using technology to be able to pick uh, a tote that's unique to a certain number of patients. So when the tote arrives in the pharmacy, we call it picked a prescription as a, as a working name. The tote doesn't have to be put away. It can be opened at the dispensing bench and then using very simple scanning technology, which doesn't incur any cost for our members. It's integrated into the PMR system. They're able to scan that tote and immediately bag effectively the the number of patients uh, products into uh, into bags so it saves an awful lot of handling of product in store or duplication of handling it can effectively reduce down the stock holding because if you're using golden tote effectively you're repeat dispensing which is probably 60 percent plus of most pharmacies business in some as much as 80 percent will come in direct so that saves an awful lot of time. It also, because of the scanning technology, is really safe. So from a superintendent's point of view, you will reduce down human errors, which inevitably otherwise will happen through the scanning technology. And I guess that the bottom line benefit, if you look at the speed of dispensing, it will more than double a pharmacy's ability to dispense. Uh, and when we were chatting on uh, a capacity earlier, you know, that's a really significant thing. When we're chatting with our independent members and saying to them, you know, you're doing at the moment, let's say, average seven and a half thousand items. Would you like to be able to do several thousand more without incurring costs or even reducing your cost? That really is quite attractive to them. And I think fundamentally, a lot of the initiatives that have gone on have been around how you can buy more effectively, how you can improve the layout of the pharmacy. This is probably the first time in truth in 20, 30 years that we're fundamentally looking at the dispensary process and saying, how can we really improve that for the benefit of our members? 
It, it sounds a very clever model indeed, actually. And, and it's had a good reaction from uh, members, hasn't it? it? It's had a really good reaction, Richard. Yeah, we, we were able to offer it uh, th- throughout the UK, which is, uh, which is really good. So all of our pharmaceutical depots are, are capable of offering that service to our members. Uh, and I think like with all things, it obviously takes a period of time to uh, for members to understand what the offer is about. And I guess, you know, Looking back with the hindsight, one of the difficulties we had was during COVID, the sales team, unfortunately, our Newmark team was off the road for a significant period of time. So it's probably taken a little bit longer than we would have ideally liked to get this up and running. But uh, at the pharmacy show, we've uh, we had a really good, uh, good presence there. We decided that we needed to to help us to get Golden Tote visible. We've created two vans. I uh, actually said to my marketing team, you remember a few years ago, and this probably dates me, Richard, but you remember the Pepsi challenge where literally a Pepsi van went around the country challenging people to decide whether Pepsi tasted better than Coke. And I thought that sort of concept, something that we can visibly take out to pharmacies so they can see the process, because one of the things with Golden Tote is it's not just a case of selling a concept to an owner. It's very much about the pharmacy team seeing the benefits of it, because this is probably the first time Newmark has sold something that is actually an operational solution. So you need the buy-in of the superintendent for, for the safety reasons. And you need the, the buy-in of the pharmacy team, the technicians and the pharmacists who actually do the dispensing in the pharmacy. So having a van that has literally got a mock dispensary in the back of it, where you can take that around the country and let people see the concept. And because it is a new concept, seeing it, visualizing it, that's really important. Since we've had the vans, that's been a real step change in terms of the, the take-up we've had on Golden Tote. And we've very ambitious plans for it for the future, for sure. Yes, I I had a little session in the uh, the Golden Tote van at the the pharmacy show. It is a very effective way, I think, of of demonstrating what what you've been talking about. Um, it is, and I really couldn't be prouder, Richard. You know, the, the team we've got there, and uh, actually one of the team who uh, who represents us there, his father actually is a Newmark member, and he was working in his father's pharmacy, and it's uh, a guy you'll probably know, Gareth Rowe, down in uh, down in South Wales. Yes, and uh, Gareth was one of our uh, pilots with Golden Tote. Absolutely loved the concept. Has subsequently moved it into his second pharmacy. Uh, but his son Alex, who just qualified, was working there, and uh, Alex was really impressed with the system. We were really impressed with Alex, and I'm very pleased to say he's he's joined us now and he's working for us uh, as one of our Golden Tote uh, ambassadors. And uh, he's doing a sterling job. But great to see. Uh, Great to see his passion and enthusiasm for that. I thought the team did a did a cracking job. They were proper busy at the pharmacy show, which was really good to see. Yes, there was a big crowd around your your stand and the the van every time I walked past. So yeah, a lot of interest, and it'll be very interesting how you you roll this out now over the next twelve months, Jeremy. And we'll be we'll be keeping close tabs on that. Um, as I say, it looks a, a, an excellent model. I think so, and I think I think the other thing, Richard, I will say, you know, there were a couple of others uh, who were uh, mentioning concepts that look uh, to be uh, similar to, not necessarily identical, but similar to Golden Tote. And I think probably from an industry point of view, there's recognition therefore that actually this idea will continue to grow. And obviously, from uh, from a new mark perspective, we'd like to think being first into the market, we've got a little bit of headroom there, and it's our challenge to uh, to make sure we bring that to fruition. And let's talk about Newmark in, in, in a general sense, a quick health check, Jeremy. What kind of shape is the group in as we emerge, well, hopefully emerge from the pandemic? And, and what developments can members expect in the next 12 months or so? Really, really good question, Richard. I'm very pleased to be able to say that actually Newmark is in, uh, is in a very, very good position. We've had uh, a very strong period of growth. So if I go back to January 16, we had 2,800 members. And as we're sitting here today, we've got 4,700. So 
we've seen a 60% growth in our membership over the last uh, five years, which I think is is testament, hopefully, to the proposition that we've got for our members. And we, we talk a lot internally about making sure that that proposition really is strong. And I think our aspiration is to be able to provide for an independent and indeed increasingly now for groups, a compelling range of services. So looking to the future, I think our two critical challenges are how we help members improve capacity. And clearly, Golden Tote is going to be a significant bet for us uh, in that space. The other key area, I think, for most independent pharmacies, they are there's a lot of talk around digital innovation. I think if you're an independent pharmacy, that can be pretty scary. So one of the things that we're trying to do uh, is to really simplify and come up with ways in which our members can compete on a level playing field with uh, with that competition. So uh, we made an acquisition uh, this year um, of uh, of Hay Pharmacist, which was originally the, uh, the Co-op Health app. Uh, and one of the other big initiatives for us in terms of proposition change, we're bringing that properly to market uh, next year. Uh, we're doing some piloting work on that at the moment. Uh, but that for us will be another significant proposition change, which we think enables our members to compete on more of a, a level playing field, offering the, the best of both. And by that, I mean online convenience. So a patient can order product online, but with the ability to collect it from the local pharmacy. And what we don't want to do is break that link between the local healthcare professional and the patient. And we think that's a, a point of difference for us in the future. Well, Jeremy, we'd better wrap it up there. We could have talked about uh, a lot more, but it, it, Newmark seems to be going from, from strength to strength, which is, is great to see in these, in these difficult times. So um, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on to the podcast and, and bringing us up to speed with, with what's going on. Thanks, Jason. It's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. My thanks there to Jeremy Meader. Next week, the Talking Pharmacy podcast is back and takes to the road. We travel to the West Country to talk to one of the major wholesalers about its plans for net zero emissions and drop in on pharmacist Jackie Lewis to talk pharmacy and cancer care. So join us next week. Until then, thanks very much for listening.